Hello, everyone. It has been a hot minute since we had our last episode, but I am so excited to be back and I'm fired up. I'm, I just can't wait to get doing She Has a Name 2 again. And I have the most amazing guest here today to kick us off again on the right foot. Um, if you're new here, welcome. This message of the podcast is really simple. Women have names, we have voices, and we deserve to be heard. So typically this podcast is broadly related to Christian women. However, this episode contains jargon used more specifically by members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Quotes and experiences shared in this episode come primarily from leadership and women of the church. So without further ado, I would like to introduce my guest today, Alice. She is a mom, an artist, and one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram. Alice tells it how it is not only on social media, but also through her beautiful art. This week, one of her pieces in particular really spoke to me, so I asked her to come on the show and share what inspired it. Welcome, Alice, to She Has a Name Too. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to get to talk about some things that I'm really passionate about, and that you obviously are too. Yeah. Um, So before we get Talking about your most recent lino print, um, is there anything else that you would like to add to your introduction? No, not really. I mean, you pretty much covered it. It's I'm on Instagram, and sometimes I put my foot in my mouth, but um, I really, I've really enjoyed being able to connect with people, um, with women especially. I think like 90% of my followers are women. Um, other artists, um, kind of. Instagram has been a really great way for me to kind of insert myself into the LDS women's art niche and um, get to interact with some really neat and amazing people through that. Um, People that are artists, people that do podcasts like you um, and Allie Barnes and just lots of other um, really incredible women who have built this amazing community on Instagram. And it's been such a privilege to be able to kind of insert myself into the conversation in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So where can people find you on Instagram? So my Instagram handle is alicisms underscore illustration. So A-L-I-C-E-I-S-M-S underscore illustration. Um, yeah. And that's my art account. And that's where I post all of my thoughts. Um, my bomb memes, let's be honest. People come for the art and stay for my stories um, and my dog Dilly. And yeah, so you can find me there. Okay, so first and foremost, tell me a little bit about your most recent print and what inspired it. Absolutely, so my most recent print is a three color, um, three block print. Linoleum block printing is basically just a glorified stamp. It's not a super mainstream form of art. Um, well, it's mainstream, but you don't see it as often and especially not in LDS art. And so it is basically just a stamp that you carve into a thick, dense piece of rubber and you roll the ink on and you use that stamp to create your print. Um, usually I just work in one color and then I, um, watercolor in or add gold leaf embellishments to the areas that I feel like need a little extra pop. I do like a lot of rainbows and things like that. But for the most part, I work in high contrast. So black and white. Um, but this piece kind of felt like it needed something a little bit extra. And uh, so I decided to take a 
step out of my comfort zone and do a three block print, which means that I have three layers that I'm printing on top of each other. Um, and one of the colors is this beautiful gold color. And it's this gorgeous metallic. It's got this iridescent. So when it catches the light just right, it shimmers and it shines and it's really beautiful. And I wanted to use that ink specifically for this piece because the title of it is Straw to Gold. And it the idea came from uh, just the other day, last week, I was scrolling through my Instagram account and I came across a quote by Lindsay Hansen Park. And that quote is, while their husbands were away dreaming about being gods and their priesthood, it's the woman over and over again who kept taking the terrible scraps given to them and transforming it. Mormon women have so much practice turning straw into gold. And she was referencing um, the pioneer woman who were at the start of the early church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church. Um, those are sometimes used interchangeably. Um, but the Mormon pioneers who came across the plains um, and the women that were not always treated as equals. I don't know how else to put that, but not always treated as equals. And they had they had access to this priesthood power and it was often disregarded by the men. And so she was talking about how prevalent that is in Mormon history. And that quote just really stood out to me, especially the part where she, the very last sentence that says, Mormon women have so much practice turning straw into gold. And uh, I thought about how, you know, in my own life and with the patriarchy, we're going to say it, just the patriarchy in general, you know, um, there's been a lot of confusion about women and their inherent priesthood from when we go through the temple and uh, what our roles in that priesthood kind of is. There's a lot like we know we have it. We know we're endowed with power when we attend the temple, when we go to the temple for the first time and continue on through that journey. Um, but no one ever really talks about how we apply it. And so I started thinking a lot about that. And one of the great things about this last week is that I had the opportunity to speak at church and uh, it was a speaker's choice. So I had the chance to pick my topic and through Instagram, we had this incredible conversation about what it means to be a woman in the church and how we magnify our priesthood and what ways we have been able to access that power for ourselves and find out what that means as individual women. And uh, so I've just been all week, I compiled my thoughts and I wrote a talk uh, specifically about the priesthood power of women. And that piece kind of just goes hand in hand with everything that I've researched and um, how I feel about where we are as a church and where we can be in the future. I really appreciated that conversation because it really like opened my eyes to some things that I never experienced, but it also gave me the ability to feel like I wasn't alone because there were so many other women sharing their experiences that really resonated with me. And so I really appreciated that you brought it to Instagram and facilitated that conversation. It was it was awesome. And you have that saved in your story highlights, don't you? I do. So I have um, I've made a few. 
but uh, the story highlight is faith journey. That's kind of the beginning of the conversation. And then I posted my talk to my stories as well. Um, links to all of the sources, links to Google Doc that my talk is on, and Women's Talk. So the two highlights, again, are Faith Journey and Women's Talk. And that's where you can find all of the background on the conversations that we've had leading up to this. So listeners, if you want to dig deeper, <laughs> I encourage you to head over to Alice's profile and check that out. Okay, so where do you want to start in your talk? Do you want to do you want to hit the chicken with the racket in this episode or <laughs> I just love that phrase since you used it. <laughs> I love the yeah, I would be more than happy to I mean, I feel like that's the beautiful thing about a podcast is I mean, in a sacrament meeting talk, you kind of have to pander to a crowd, but in a podcast, you can get really specific and you can really dive in. So, I am more than happy to hit the chicken with the racket. Um <laughs> and uh, and let's let's just talk about it all. Where do you want to start? What are you thinking? Well, let's talk about how you shared a quote from President Ballard that says, all worthy members who have received their endowment and keep their covenants that they have made in the temple have priesthood power. Thus, women married or single can have priesthood power in their homes, regardless of a visit from a priesthood holder. I just absolutely love that quote. I think it is so, so powerful Growing up, I kind of, I kind of like, I don't know if it was me internalizing it or like the way that I internalized it or if I was actually taught this way, but I was taught like heavily to trust the priesthood, so to speak, and to kind of just go with whatever the priesthood holder said and um, very like patriarchal society that I grew up in. Um, and so when I heard this quote um, a couple years ago, it just resonated with me like, wow, okay, I have the same authority that my husband has. And if I'm single, like, I have that power in my home to, to bless my home, to preside in my home. And I just think that's so powerful. And you get that priesthood power when you go through the temple individually for yourself. It's not something that just happens when you get married and the first time you go into the temple, you get married and all of a sudden you're sealed to a man who has the priesthood. It's something that, you know, we go through for our endowments, our personal endowments, our personal initiatories. And we participate in those covenants and promises. And we make those for ourselves. We don't make those for anyone else. Our husband doesn't make those for us either. Um, our parents don't make those for us when they went through for themselves and then got married. You know, this is all a very individual journey. And I think that's essential nowadays because so much of the membership of our church, what is it? Almost 60% of the membership of our church are women. And a huge portion of those women are single endowed members. And so to, uh, to have a church that is so just full of women, in incredible women, and then a huge portion of those women are not married, that's like that logic, that patriarchal logic would be that those women don't have any authority in their own lives to make decisions for themselves. And that's just 
a load of bull, to be quite honest. And uh, I think it's so important that I, okay, so uh, on my mission, I didn't know any better, like most 19, 20 year olds. Um, but I had a mission companion and we were teaching someone who lived upstairs from us. And he was a guy who moved to Cincinnati for work and from China. So he is from China. He has a wife and a daughter who live in China, but he is in um, Cincinnati for work. And he learned he was taught the gospel for quite a while by the sisters. And then when I got into the area, we really pounded it out. He got baptized. He got confirmed. He uh, received the priesthood. He was very excited to get his patriarchal blessing. Um, and he went through the steps. And then like within a week of him getting his patriarchal blessing, he had to go back to China. And it was just like snap like that. And it happened so fast. But while we were teaching him, the time that he got baptized to the time that he had to leave was about three months. And shortly after he got baptized, my companion brought up that she was really grateful that someone who held the priesthood was in our apartment complex so that if we ever needed someone to provide us like a priesthood blessing or something like that, we could call on him. And I think that's true in a lot of ways, but at the same time, I think that, and I agreed with her, and I think that we both kind of forgot a little bit that before we went on our missions, we went through the temple and we participated in priesthood covenants. And so by default, we have priesthood power and we use that priesthood power to bless our tiny little disgusting apartment. And uh, yeah, the sentiment was really great that, you know, being the man from China um, that, that lived upstairs was so close to us and could help us if we needed it. But we also, I think we've both learned just in the years since our mission that we have the power within us to help each other and to support each other and to provide the spirit into our home and to make decisions as a companionship and that now we do those things with our husbands. And uh, I, yeah, it just, it really goes to show that how important it is that we understand as women that we have this power and we can use it to benefit the lives of others and to bless our lives as well. Yeah. And, and I think it's so important. Um, if you, if one of our listeners is a, is a younger woman who hasn't been endowed yet and wants to be endowed, I think it is so important that if you feel spiritually ready to go through the temple, like make it happen because, because that gives you the blessings of the priesthood. And, and I just think like, I mean, I'm so grateful that my, I had a stake president who really pushed for me to be endowed almost immediately after I got my mission call because he didn't want me to wait. He wanted it to be separate and it's, it is separate from a mission. It's separate from marriage and you should have time to be able to process those things um, that you're learning in the temple on your own. That's my little plug for you. My little encouragement. <laughs> and also the fact that, um, and this was something that came up and I'm trying to find the link right now on LDS tools in the church handbook. And I know it's saved in my story. So I'm clicking through my story highlight to try and find it. But she, um, someone mentioned 
in our conversation last week that you don't have to be like the handbook recently was changed to where if as long as you've graduated high school or it's equivalent and uh, you uh, yeah I think pretty much is I'm trying to find it so that it can so that I can get it correct as long as you have graduated high school and you feel that you are personally ready to attend the temple no one should be stopping you from receiving those blessings and especially not a bishop or a stake president and it's kind of this patriarchal idea that that you kind of have to go through this authority figure to be deemed worthy and really as long as you are prepared and you are keeping the commandments and you feel like you're ready to make this huge next step to learn more about you um your divine roles you can do that and you can say if they say oh i don't feel like you're ready ask them why like is it because i'm a woman and because i'm not serving a mission and because i'm not getting married right now because those aren't valid reasons and it says in the church handbook that it's not a valid reason so sorry i'm still looking through here i want to i want to get it right i want to find it but i might not be able to found it okay 26.5.1 okay members receiving their own endowment Instructions for issuing a recommend to a person who is receiving his or her own endowment are provided in Temple Recommend Book 2. Worthy members who desire to receive their own endowment may do so when they meet all of the following conditions. One, they are at least 18 years old. Two, they have completed or are no longer attending high school, secondary school, or the equivalent. Three, one full year has passed since their confirmation. Four, they feel a desire to receive and honor temple covenants throughout their lives. In addition, a man must hold the Melchizedek priesthood before receiving his endowment. So other than that, there's no, there's nothing else. Those are the four things that you need. And if you're a man, you need to hold the Melchizedek priesthood. Other than that, if you're a woman and you meet all four of those requirements, which, I mean, once you graduate from high school, that's most of them you know, other than your own spiritual preparation, you can and should, if you feel so inclined, get that role in. And uh, I know a lot, I, at least how it was explained to me growing up by my dad, by other priesthood authority, um, was that you, they were worried that people didn't always know what they were getting into. And when you break really big covenants like the law of chastity or something like that then that really is a lot the burden becomes a lot heavier when it comes to repentance than it is if you haven't yet gone through the temple but if you really do feel a desire to receive and honor temple covenants throughout your life like it says in the handbook then there shouldn't be a barrier to that and we shouldn't be making possible mistakes that people could make that anyone could make that and holding 18 and 19 year old basically children to that standard you know we there's there's no reason to prohibit people because of something they possibly maybe could do in the future if that makes any sense 
but yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was a really interesting and important point that she brought up um, in that conversation. I'm glad I was able to find it. It's up for grabs for anyone who's ready. And uh, just because you're a woman doesn't make you any less spiritual or any less ready than some 19 year old kid named Brad, you know? And, and I think it's important to make it for yourself. I, I'm so grateful that I was able to serve a mission and have that time to grow spiritually by myself, um, being an endowed member and going to the temple to do endowments and ceilings and things by myself. Um, because I just, when I got married and sealed to my husband, I couldn't imagine like having just gone through the temple the day before and then being sealed. Like that is so much to, um, that's just so much to put on you in one weekend, you know, <laughs> it's like, holy cow. Yeah. So if you want to do it, do it. And, and tell your bishop that Jerrica and Alice told you to. Just throw our names around. We're totally <laughs> fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe actually bring up the handbook if if you feel like that's necessary. And uh, again, it's it's right there in the handbook. And you could probably put it in the show notes where they can find that so that they can very easily reference. This is where it says it. And it doesn't say anywhere that it can't. <laughs> so you tell me, Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will be linking that in the show notes. Okay, so one other topic that I wanted to talk about that you kind of briefly mentioned in your talk, it really, really, really stood out to me and resonated with me. Um, you said, this is quoting you, Alice. Oh, great. <laughs> An Alice quote. Let's hear it. Um, you said, in settings where leadership is predominantly male, like in the church, acknowledging that women ought to have a seat at the table and be listened to isn't always enough. According to a recent BYU Magazine article, this is because, quote, women are, this is not you now talking. This is someone else. This is the BYU, <laughs> just to be clear. Uh, women are systemically seen as less authoritative and their influence is systemically lower and they're speaking less. And when they're speaking up, they are not being listened to as much as they are being interrupted more. End quote. Now this is you talking again. <laughs> what happens when we discount female expertise and perspectives? We lose valuable God-given insights necessary for our growth. Sister Reina Alberto said in her April 2018 address with one accord, revelation is scattered among us. And when we put in, when we put that revelation together, we see it more. This really resonated with me that there's a BYU study out there that says that women in the church are seen as lower. We are seen as less influential. And when we do speak up, we're not listened to. As someone who has served in not very many, but a few leadership positions in wards, I have felt this in both wards that I have served in. And it's frustrating. And it's really unfortunate because as I speak with other young women's presidents or primary presidents or Relief Society presidents, they all feel the same way. And not all of them feel like they can speak up. 
Yeah, and that's really unfortunate. I Since my mission, I haven't had a ton of opportunities to participate in ward councils, um, which I'm fine with personally, because who wants an extra meeting on a Sunday? But as a missionary, I remember serving, especially in my last area, my companion and I were there for um, four and a half months together, and I was there for six months. And we had two sets of elders, and we had incredible leadership in that ward. We met in his little bishop's office that was the size of my bedroom and uh, with all of the leaders. And there were so many times that when it was time to turn the time over to the missionaries, we had district leaders and zone leaders in our ward. And then the sister training leaders, me and my companions. But almost every single time they turned the time over to the missionaries, they turned the time over to me and my companion. The, to be honest, the elders kind of just do to do stumbled along a little bit, but like we were very direct and we had specific answers to questions. And I spoke three times in that ward because the bishopric was like, we need the, we need a missionary to speak this Sunday. Sister Abrams, let's put you down. And I was like, and I, it finally got to a point where they asked me a fourth time and I was like, all right, Bishop, I love you guys. And you guys are awesome. But you, there's four other missionaries that are very qualified to speak. Um, maybe you should ask one of them. But it just felt so good. And it was so essential for me to learn how to speak up in leadership meetings and to be present and to pay attention. And I didn't have a that my previous wards that I served in were also also very good, but not like that. Like it was whenever the bishopric had a question about a family that they knew missionaries were visiting, and a lot of those people were the sisters because we had a lot of um, widowed um, single women that we were asked and assigned to we always we almost always had answers for them and they really learned to trust us and we contributed vastly to those meetings and in ways that other people might not have been able to and i think that you know in the few times that i have been able to attend ward council when i was in the primary presidency in my ward until recently, I had to go maybe once or twice because the primary president wasn't available. And uh, I felt like I could confidently speak up and uh, give my two cents when I had it. Didn't happen very often. I didn't necessarily feel like I needed to, but I always had the, I always had the answers for what are, I was always well prepared for what we were assigned to speak on. And uh, it, it just goes to show women are extremely capable and have insights that often men don't have and can't necessarily have because of our innate gifts to be able to communicate with others and to, you know, build sisterly relationships and to understand needs. And when, when leadership, there's another quote. Yeah. President Ballard once said, any priesthood leader who does not involve his sister leaders with full respect and inclusion is not honoring and magnifying the keys he has been given. His power and influence will be diminished until he learns the ways of the Lord. And I think that is because they're not asking for that valuable insight that women naturally bring to the table. 
And I love that he said that. And I want to use that quote every single day to every single leader that I come across because it's it's very true. There's so many women leaders in our individual wards. You have young women's presidencies and relief society presidencies and primary presidencies. Why aren't we pulling from these women more often for information and for resources and to to build our wards to be stronger? Well, and especially because, I mean, the primary covers all of the children, male and female. And their families. And their families, right? During the pandemic, um, well, deeper pandemic when we were all locked down <laughs> and not allowed to go for walks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was... I was in the I was in the primary presidency um, in California, and we obviously we weren't texting the kids, we weren't calling the kids, we were calling the parents and making sure that they had what they were looking, what they needed. Um, and the young women, you know, they were taking care of the young women and the Relief Society, all the women. And so, really, like the women's organizations cover so much of the ward. The Sunday school president okay, he teaches Sunday school, cool. But like a handful of people go to Sunday school because half of them are teaching primary or young women's, right? Or they just skip it altogether, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> um, and of course, the elders quorum president has stewardship over the elders quorum and the bishopric, now the young men, <laughs> which is a whole nother, whole nother thing. <laughs> You know, but like these women are covering so much of the ward and really making sure that the whole ward is taken care of. When I feel like when a bishop says no to something that a primary president feels really strongly about or says no to something that a young woman's president feels really strongly about for her stewardship, it it kind of feels like to me, every time that I've been said told no anyway, it feels like I am lesser. I am incapable of receiving revelation for my own stewardship. And I think that's doing not only the presidency, but also that whole auxiliary a disservice. Everyone who serves in it, everyone who participates. Because as female leaders, we do have that priesthood power. We have the keys given to us. We are set apart as stewards over these organizations and we are entitled to answers. Exactly. And actually, as you were speaking, I was reminded of a quote by Jean B. Bingham. So Relief Society president, general president. Um, and I'm taking a fraction out of the quote that I used in the talk. Um, but she says men need to become true partners rather than assume they are solely responsible or act as pretend partners while women carry out much of the work. And that's exactly what you're saying. You know, we when you're in a relief society presidency or primary presidency or your young woman's president, you have that authority to, you know, have the stewardship over these people. And uh, you know, we're told that we're told that over and over and over again. But when but when we aren't treated as true partners, like it says here, men need to become true partners. They need to give to us. They need to give an opportunity for us to be able to contribute in meaningful ways um, and not just be pretend partners, not just have lip service that, 
oh yeah, you're really important. We really need you to keep an eye on these people. But we're also not going to let you make big decisions that are going to um, that are going to benefit the people that you're in charge of. That's lip service. And back to Elder President Ballard, Elder yeah, President Ballard. Any priesthood leader who does not involve his sister leaders with full respect and inclusion is not honoring and magnifying the keys. He's diminishing his power because he's not relying on that important resource, which is the eyes and ears, the woman of his congregation. So sisters, if you're listening to this and you're in a leadership position and you can talk to your bishop, if you are experiencing similar things, um, Or maybe you have a fantastic experience with your bishop. That's awesome. I'm happy for you. Just don't be afraid to speak up because you are valued at the table and and you should be if you're not. And don't be afraid to, to let your bishop know when he's overstepping. Okay, so part three of your talk. I feel like your talk was kind of like three themes here. Um, let's talk about your personal experience with the art show and being able to fully understand your priesthood roles. Sure. Absolutely. So, um, I feel like, and I, I expressed this last night in a post where I said, um, that I, I was saying how it kind of feels like it's unfortunate that, you know, when president Nelson gave his 2019 talk, to the woman about our priesthood power and responsibilities, it felt like, and I'm sure other women have felt this way, that he was almost giving us permission to seek out our roles more thoroughly and persistently. And it, how unfortunate is it that we had to wait for permission? Permission. We've had the permission all along, but we didn't. We didn't feel like we could really do anything about it until. The prophet told us specifically, you can do this. You can search out your priesthood responsibilities and roles and dig deep and try and find ways that you can magnify your priesthood. And how how unfortunate that we had to wait until 2019 to receive that permission, in quotes. Um, and even then, we have had very few conference talks dedicated to that topic. Um, if anything, occasionally there's a brief mention, like in these um, previous quotes from a, a general authorities and such. Um, but other than that, we have to dig with our bare hands through gravel and clay. And it's just it's a lot of really hard work to find what magnifying our priesthood responsibilities really means. And in my talk, I talked about how just a few ways that I feel like it's gotten easier for me to dig through that gravel and that dirt, not having a lot of written or spoken resources to turn to. And one of those ways is by learning more about my heavenly mother and building a relationship with her and seeing myself um, in her eternal prototype and being able to look to her who is a God and who is a partner to Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ in bringing about our salvation. Um, being able to see that and it just more clearly for some reason has helped me connect with my divine destiny and uh, translating that into my family. And so I spent a portion of my talk talking about how Heavenly Mother was 
hidden for so long from us, even though the prophet Joseph Smith talked about her frequently to the woman at the beginning of the restoration of the church. And a lot of it was because of a single sexist speculation made by a BYU Institute teacher in the 60s that church culture inappropriately propagated and said, oh yeah, she's too sacred to talk about. We don't talk about her. And that's why none of the prophets have ever talked about her is because she's so special and she's so sacred and Heavenly Father wants to keep her safe. And I'm going to call bull on that because if Heavenly Mother is a god, if she is a goddess, she doesn't need that protecting. She is, you know, she is right there with him, working with him. The only reason we don't know about her is because man has, and woman through the patriarchy, have concealed her from our view. And uh, as I've been able to pull back that veil a little bit and study, and so much of my studying of Heavenly Mother have been through the thoughts of other LDS artists, um, poets, women who are trailblazing and uh, creating beautiful work and depicting her in so many ways in different races and nationalities and, you know, in various roles as a creator and a what mother and a wife and a god, I've been able to more clearly understand my own roles as a creator and a mother and a wife and a woman in the church to better to to know what I can do to benefit my family and the people around me and the people within my stewardship. Yeah. Um I wish I could remember the exact quote, but I I think it was an another artist or someone in this community <laughs> who said that um, when we when we hide a heavenly heavenly mother we we take away the ability to figure out our own divinity because we do not we think I mean even as a little kid I would think okay so we're created in the image of God but like obviously I'm not a man so how was I created in his image? And I think so many of us have felt that I have had those exact same thoughts growing up and as an adult. I don't even think I really knew that we had a heavenly mother until I was in Young Women's and we sang Oh My Father by Eliza R. Snow. And she mentions heavenly mother. And even then it was like, almost like a joke, you know, like, Oh no, now we're bringing up this whole big topic about Heavenly Mother and we have to talk about, you know, we have to give this whole backstory that, you know, makes our re our religion so different from others and it's just another big division between us and mainstream Christianity. And how unfortunate and sad is that 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 is the first thing that we're taught about Heavenly Mother is that she's a burden on our Christianity. And that that is not true at all. And if Jesus was on earth to hear that short sort of rationalization, he would have flipped tables because I know that he, if he loves his father as much as he constantly preached and talked about, he loves his mother. And there has to be a reason outside of him um, that we haven't heard references to her in the Bible or in the Book of Mormon. It has to be um, because I'm certain that he talked about her and that he loved her and revered her and treasured her 
while he was on earth and continues to and it probably just makes him so sad that that is the first impression that we have of heavenly mother when we're in young women's and when we sing oh my father and all of a sudden we learn that we have a heavenly mother and it's like oh that's kind of weird and it's like no it's not and my daughter will not know that will not be her first memory of her heavenly mother in fact she is already so in tune with who she is because in the past two years three years since she's been born that that's when my heavenly mother journey has really begun to get to know her and i have um both the girl's guide and the boy's guide to heavenly mother um by macarthur krishna and uh, uh what else do i have i i have artwork of heavenly mother i have artwork that i've created of heavenly mother and we talk about her and now that I'm in nursery, we, whenever Heavenly Father comes up, I say Heavenly Parents, I say Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. And those kiddos are gonna, I hope, I pray that they're going to grow up and they're going to remember those first impressions of Heavenly Mother on their life, not as impressions of embarrassment or burden, but as impressions of wonder and amazement and just love pure love that a mother has for her children i think there's a lot of unlearning that we have to do absolutely because it I, it's the same like for me since i had my daughter i can't imagine raising her in in some ways the same way that i was raised uh, yep i totally agree i i used to cringe when i saw oh my father was going to be the song that we sung and i had investigators at church Yep. As a missionary, that was always, that was always one thing that you kind of worried that you were going to have to explain one more big, big thing to them. Totally feel that. But now it's like, why, why am I not praying to her? I, I have hung several paintings of Heavenly Mother in my daughter's room and, and I'm still working on my own unlearning and relearning um, to be able to more fully help her grow in her relationship with Heavenly Mother. Um, but it just, it breaks my heart when I hear other women say, no, 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 she's too sacred. Because I think, do you realize like you're shutting your own self into this closet of sacredness, too sacred, because you're shutting deity, this female figure this goddess that that you believe that one day you will become and you're shutting her into a closet. Um, I think it's, it's really unfortunate. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I mean, just imagine your husband, imagine your husband at work and someone asks how his wife is doing. And he says, Oh, I, I can't talk about, I can't talk about my wife. She's, she's too precious to me. No, that's not how you do. Like, you're, if your husband's proud of you, he he talks about you nonstop. He talks about your family. He talks about, you know, he wants to let people know that you, as his wife, are involved and, you know, that you are loved by him. And to think exactly to your point, to think that you can't talk about her because she's too sacred. She's too dainty. She's a woman. She's too fragile you know when i when i think of that phrase too sacred i replace sacred with fragile 
dainty, you know, all of these words, damsel in distress. She's not a damsel in distress. She's a powerful goddess. She is a creator. She she can take a beating because that is what got her to where she is. You know, she she probably lived a life on an earth similar to ours where she had to go through some serious tribulation and trial. And that is, that's what we're doing right now. When we say that she's our eternal prototype, we're saying that she lived a life similar to the experience that we are going through right now. And uh, how would it be to for us to die and go to heaven and all of a sudden be erased? To have this, this idea to be told that, you know, just like in the Lindsay Park Hansen quote, I'm going to pull up right now. While their husbands were away dreaming about being gods and their priesthood, it's the woman over and over again who kept taking the terrible scraps given to them and transforming it. That That's what I imagine is, you know, imagine your husband going off and becoming a god and all of a sudden you're erased. Like you're too sacred for anyone to talk about. That's that's unacceptable. That's sexist. Flat out sexist to, to say that. And that's probably I don't want to put words in her mouth but that's probably a little bit how heavenly mother would feel about that you know so it's a it's a shame it's a real shame that christianity basically as a whole has erased her and then within our church that does have the knowledge of a heavenly mother who is divine and who loves us and who we can become like her someday even then we we minimize her to too sacred and too pure to talk about well said. Amen. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add that you'd like to go over in your talk? Well, let's just, let's say one last thing, at least. You know, Heavenly Mother isn't our only person that we can look to to recognize our divine priesthood potential and priesthood roles and responsibilities. We have so many trailblazing women, and it, it feels like it would be a crime to not mention that there have been women all along the way, these past 200 years especially, and beyond, even in the Bible and the Book of Mormon, who who spoke of Christ and who preached of Christ and who prophesied of Christ. Um, I bring up Abish, the servant to King Lamoni from the Book of Mormon, um, Anna the prophetess who testified of Christ as an infant in the temple, um, Mary Magdalene who followed Christ around for much of his earthly ministry and who was the first person to witness his resurrection. We have these incredible, and th those are just three. That's just three of so many women who come to mind, who lived on the outskirts, who were, who was a servant, who was a widower, who was, you know, a prostitute at one point in her life, um, who lived on the outskirts, but who followed the Savior and watched for his coming. And then they went on to prophesy many great and wonderful things, sometimes to men who struggled to hear them. Um, we think about the pioneers, the early um, Mormon pioneers who crossed the plains. Um, the woman, I, I don't remember names, but the woman at Hans Mill whose son, you know, was shot in the hip when all of the men were basically annihilated and killed. Um, she survived and one of her sons survived, but had a shattered hip and she made a poultice of lard and ash and put it in the hip socket and healed him. You know, when any when no men were were around to to give a priesthood blessing, she went to work. She used her priesthood to 
go to work and heal her son. Um, I think about um, the woman who, oh goodness, what's her name? Hiram Smith's wife, Joseph F. Smith's mom. And see, here's the thing. Here's the other thing. We don't always remember their names. We remember the men's names. We don't remember their names. Um, but she was the one who, um, her oxen, she always butt heads with the, with the wagon captain of the wagon train. And one of her oxen dropped dead on the trail and he told her move over so other people can go and maybe you'll be able to catch up with us later. And she anointed the ox with, with oils, consecrated oil. And the ox was raised from the dead. She did she used her priesthood to perform that incredible miracle. And these are both instances where either men weren't present or had forcefully pushed them aside, telling them to harvest the meat or bury the boy and move along. And instead these women persisted and performed miracles in the name of Jesus Christ by the authority of the priesthood through the power of the priesthood. And there are probably so many more stories that similar to that, that, we don't know about because we don't know their name and uh, it was always the men that took a lot of credit and uh, the women were you know just kind of background figures and they're not these women were spinning straw to gold every single day they were making things happen and that's not to that's not to diminish the incredible things that the men did do it's to say that for every incredible thing a man did there is a woman doing the same thing or, you know, more sometimes they had, they had children to take care of and they had to bury their children on the side of the trail. They had to bury their husbands on the side of the trail. And uh, it's just, you know, even today, even through the past 200 years since then, um, there have been more and more trailblazing women who we can look to and learn from we don't get a lot of women speaking in general conference how incredible would it be to and especially since they've gotten rid of the women's session or you know shortened it to only one a year how many incredible stories are we losing by minimizing their voices and not not granting them a seat at the table that we that they have said we are welcome to and entitled to. Yeah, that's something that I've been thinking a lot about a lot lately is that while there's talk about women being at the table and discovering their priesthood power, at the same time, we're losing the women's session. There used to be magazines dedicated to women and those no longer exist. And so it really is up to us, I think, our own personal individual level to be stepping up and to be making a difference in our individual communities. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And uh, I, it definitely starts with us. And, uh, you know, this conference talk or conference talk, this sacrament meeting talk that I wrote and compiled, really, it was a labor of love, not only by me, but by so many other women. I had so many people contributing and, uh, so many important points of my talk came from other women. And that's what happens when we collaborate. When we collaborate, we learn so much more. And there's so much more power behind our words when we all stand together. And we have the opportunity now as mothers 
you know, we were raised so differently than our daughters already are. Our daughters already have a leg up on knowing their divine potential and who they are. And uh, I mean, it just, I'm, I'm pregnant right now with my second daughter. And it just, when I was writing this talk, I could feel her moving. And I just thought, oh my goodness, this little girl is going to have so much more than I had, than so many of us had. And how, how huge of a blessing is it that, you know, the restoration will continue to quicken as we rely on women and their words and their contributions. And it will benefit not only our daughters, but also our sons. It will give them strength. It will take some of the work that they have to bear off their plate, and it will equally distribute it to others who are very capable and very willing and excited to help. And, uh, you know, we just need to be given opportunities and that we need to take them. We need to we need to jump up and take them with both hands and run with them so that we can so that we can build Zion and so that we can continue the process of the restoration. I think that is a beautiful way to end. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your talk with us and just being willing to have this conversation. I think it's just, it's so important for all of us, <laughs> all of us who just feel like sometimes we're just little pawns in the game. Um, I think it's so important for us to be having these conversations. And um, I want to invite the listeners again to go follow Alice on Instagram. And if you're not following me, come follow me. And we will have more conversations like this in the future. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. It was such an honor to be able to talk about something that we're so pas passionate about and that will benefit so many people.